Hello, hello, and welcome to the Good Life with Dawn Richards podcast. I am Dawn Richards, your host, and I want to welcome you back. We are picking up once again with episode 39, and we are on our original intent series. And I do pray that you have been getting blessed by the series and all of the messages um, and all of the series and all of the episodes, all of the good, good that um, heaven has been giving to us. And I just, you know, hope you're doing well. Um, I pray that your week is going well. I pray that all is well with you and your family and that whatever you are facing or whatever you will face, that you always remember who you are in Christ. Remember who's for you, which is God. Therefore, who can be against you? No one. So um, with that, we're going to dive in because I I want to um, make the most of of our time together. Once again, we're continuing on today's topic of God's original intent for our work, our work life. Yes, God has something to say about our work life. Believe it or not, he had that all in his plan when he laid it out in the very beginning. Work was a part of the plan. Family was a part of the plan. Prosperity was a part of the plan. Faith was a part of the plan. How to live successfully and abundantly. All of those things were a part of his plan for us because he's such a good, good father that he doesn't leave anything left to chance. He doesn't leave any stone unturned, as we say. And so we're going to pick right back up here in Genesis chapter two. We're going to once again go to verse 15 and just I'm looking in the New Living Translation. So if you're following along, um, you can follow me here or you can just, you know, listen and always go back and study it in your translation. But here in chapter two, verse 15, this is where we see God address his intent for work. And he gives Adam work. He gives Adam a job. And I like to say that work is, yes, a four letter word, but it's not a dirty word. It's actually a good word. It, It means purpose. It means fruitfulness. It means utility. It means that you're actually making contributions. You're actually using your life for something higher than yourself. And you're ultimately taking care of yourself and sustaining yourself. Um, if there's, you know, profit associated with it, and we're going to see what the scripture has to say about that, because that is also a part of God's plan for us, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. So right here in chapter two, verse 15, once again, we see that the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. That was Adam's job. Now that was his job description. Your job description may be something different, but God had already laid it out. He'd already set the table. Everything was plush. Everything was lavish. There was gold. There was fruit, food, sustenance everywhere. There was peace. You know, the animals, the animal kingdom was was in harmony with with man and everything was great. As God said, it was very good. And so really, because Adam had God's supernatural wisdom in his spirit and he was functioning as small G God in the earth while God was God over heaven and earth, then he he really did everything sweatlessly, like everything came to him naturally. When God said, hey, Adam, why don't you name all these species Adam didn't have to sit there and crank out spreadsheets and and, you know, pant back and forth in the garden and say, oh, my, how am I going to be able to do this? I've never seen a rhinoceros before. How do I know that it's a rhinoceros? You know, (laughs) he, he didn't have to go through any of those antics because he had the supernatural wisdom of God downloaded into his spirit. 
And similarly, when we're born again, we have the supernatural wisdom of God, who is Jesus Christ. The Bible says who's made unto us wisdom downloaded into our spirit. And so he was operating at man's highest level. He was operating in the God class and work was sweatless. I mean, do you do you imagine God sweating? He doesn't break a sweat. If he has to go and break up a world war, it doesn't cost him one ounce of sweat. If he has to stamp out coronavirus, it won't cost him one ounce of sweat. If he has to put back a broken together, a broken marriage or deliver a drug addicted person or, you know, deliver someone from debt or heal somebody of a terminal disease. Do you know he's not going to crack a sweat because he's God? You know, we just had people go to Mars. You know, we went to the moon and now we're on Mars. And I was laughing to myself and I was talking to myself and, you know, it's okay to do that. Um, It's healthy. Praise the Lord, uh, depending on what you're saying. But if your self-talk is good and, you know, I was just kind of thinking about that and I got tickled because I thought and I said to myself, you know, what's so fun about Mars? Jesus is Lord over Mars. That's right. There's nowhere we will ever go. In the universe, in the stratosphere. I don't care far how far out you get. You can go to Pluto and Jesus is still going to be Lord. And so nothing stumps God. He says, who can counsel me? Who can teach me? Please let him come forth. <laughs> no one can. He's God. And that is where Adam was in his knowing, in his being, in his operating, which is why it was such high treason when he turned that over to Satan. But back to the work. He was flowing. God said, I want you to tend and watch the garden. And we talked about last time how he really failed on the job ultimately, because when the test came, instead of guarding the garden and tending it and watching it and keeping out the intruders, he did the exact opposite. He let his wife go off and and be targeted by the enemy and be isolated and then fed lies that she fell for. And he just went along with it. He knew that it was not right, but he went along with it. And so it was sin in that instance because he had disobeyed God. And that's when the fall, as we refer to it, happened. And that's when the curse entered the earth. So we see a great juxtaposition. We see a great dichotomy between Genesis 2 and him flowing and everything is lavish. Everything is sweatless. I mean, the Bible tells us here in Genesis 2, as it relates to the Garden of Eden, that rain was not even a thing yet. People didn't even know what rain was. And that's why when Noah came on the scene and God said, Noah, I want you to build this ark because I'm going to flood this joint. And I'm killing up everybody up in here, up in here, <laughs> because these people are evil and I'm tired of them. He says only by only people that are going to live are you and your crew and the animal pairs that I have you bring on this ark. And if you don't get on the ark, it's a wrap. And he he killed off humanity. With the exception of knowing he started over, I should say he started over. He got rid of all that bad, rebellious, nasty, disobedient seed from mankind that had risen up because of the fall, because of evil and Satan. 
And he started over because he said Noah was a righteous man. And all he needed was one. Do you notice that all God needed is one righteous person to get things going in a different direction? And so when you look at yourself and you may be the only righteous person on your job, you may be the only person following God on your job or the only righteous person following God in your family, the only righteous person in your neighborhood, on your street, whatever that is. God only needs one. He says, I only need one to turn the whole thing around. And then he made a beautiful commitment, a beautiful covenant with the rainbow marked by the rainbow. And he says, I'll never flood the earth again. I'll never destroy mankind by a flood. Now the earth has flooded in different capacities. We've had floods, but he meant he would never destroy the earth through flooding again. But the reason people weren't paying attention to Noah back to what I was saying. And the reason they were looking at him like he was some crazy batty old man is because when he kept telling them it's going to rain, they didn't know what he was talking about. Rain. What is rain? Because it had not rained on the earth yet. So you say, well, Dawn, if it hadn't rained, how were the trees growing? How was everything so plush and, 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 and fruitful and flourishing? Honey, God had tricked it out with an underground irrigation system. An underground irrigation system is what they were working with in the Garden of Eden. Plus the rivers that flowed into the garden. Have you ever had an underground irrigation system? I have. It's quite nice. You don't have to fool with going out and tinkering with your sprinklers and putting them here and turning them on and all that. No, when you have that underground irrigation system, honey, it does all the work for you. And that's what God essentially the best kind of underground irrigation system. Had put in place in the garden. So when I say God set it out for Adam and Eve and his man and the family of of God in the earth. He spared nothing. He said it's very good. So the concept of work as God intended it was never supposed to be aligned or associated with struggle. But yet that came because of what happened in chapter three. Now let's go over there. Here we are once again back where it all went down. Back with the starring cast of Adam, Eve, and the serpent. And picking up in chapter three, we're going to pick right up where they go through the blame game. So we see them blaming Adam, blaming Eve. God, it was that woman you gave me. Oh, the serpent tricked me and the serpent, you know, doing his spiel. And God was like, okay, well, you know what? I hear you. I hear you. But because... You've done this. Serpent, you're cursed. More than all animals, domestic and wild, you will crawl on your belly. So the snake is definitely a cursed animal. Okay. Just want you to know that. In case you're fond of worshiping them or doing any other weird stuff, God said they're cursed because they... It allowed the enemy to possess it and use it. You don't want to let the enemy use you. When you let the enemy use you, you are cursed. What does that mean? You are empowered to fail. You think, oh, I'm going to go out here and wax foolish and I'm going to do this, that and the other. Remember the last time we talked, I told you that 
The Bible tells us that evil turns things upside down. That's exactly what happened here. And that's exactly what happens in the life of anybody that wants to get on that train and stay on that train. Can you get on that train and get off that train and have some course correction and some mitigated circumstances? Yes. Thank God. It's called mercy. It's called grace. It's called repentance. It's called the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Which we all need. But things changed. Things changed. They went from blessed as we saw God bless them in chapter one to cursed. So he begins to say, this is all that's going to come forth. This is your this is your lot serpent. And he went down and told him what was going to happen with him. Then he got to the woman and he starts telling her, hey, woman, because you participated in this. This is your lot. Now you're going to have children. And when you have children, you're going to give birth in pain, labor pains. Labor pains is not a part of God's original intent for us as women. Hard labor. That's not God's best. That's not God's original intent. You can stand on the promises of God and reject that and claim a supernatural delivery of your babies. Do you know God gave the Hebrew women and I'm getting ahead of myself. But when it came time for those Hebrew women to have their babies, the Bible says they'd have them so quick that the midwives could hardly keep up. God had put his special touch and blessing on them as his people. And so he spared them so often from that labor pain that was a part of the curse. Labor pains are part of the curse. Wanting to control your husband, a part of the curse, ladies. <laughs> and then he got to the man and he said, OK, you and for your part, since you listened to your wife. See, remember, he knew the deal. God told him what was up. He was not deceived. Eve was. The Bible tells us that in the New Testament. Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle. So this is where struggle comes in. You will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat of its grains by the sweat of your brow. You will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. So God pulls back the covers and says, hey, since you've gotten in bed with the devil. This is your lot. That plush. Carefree. Sweatless, lavish life you had of, you know, anything you think there it is, whatever you say, whoop, there it is. That's how it is because you've got my DNA flowing through you supernaturally. The lights have been turned out. And now that underground irrigation system and all those benefits that we just looked at were no more. The ground instantly responded to the curse. Do you know the earth is reeling under the effects of the curse? All these Eons of ages later, 
almost 6,000 years later, it can hardly stand it. It is, you know, on the brink of just, and that's why the Bible tells us in Romans, all of creation yearns and groans for the revelation of the manifestation of the sons of God. In other words, they're saying, sons of God, come help, come help, deliver us, rescue us. You've got the ability, you've got the power. That's who we've been called to be in these last days. But when you think about struggling to make a living, when you think about having to work like a, a dog, just to get a little something, something. That's what God was saying here. He says, you're going to struggle to scratch a living. Listen at that. You're scratching a living, barely getting by. That equals barely getting by. I mean, you just scratched. You know, when you scratch the surface of something, we say you just scratch the surface. That means you've only just gotten started. You've only just touched on it. And. God said, you're only just touching on living. You're barely living. You're barely getting by. Because now you've separated yourself from me and my best. That's what death means. In its fullest sense, death is separation from God and his best. When he told him, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Yes, as I explained in a previous podcast episode, the death process started and it took almost a century. Glory to God for it to even take effect on man's physical being because we were never intended to die. We were created to be immortal. It took all that time for ourselves, our bodies, our minds, every part of us to even know what dying was and how to die. And can you imagine living almost a thousand years and having a scratch a living? Honey, that's not doing anybody any favors. I'd be like, okay, Lord, you can just give me about 70 good years and I'm gone. <laughs> and thank God we have Jesus now because I mean, things changed. They were in God's best as he originally intended. And then they were not. And so the ground produced the bare minimum. It didn't even produce anything desirable here. It says it's going to grow for you, but this is what is going to grow thorns and thistles. How sexy is that? <laughs> he says, and you're going to eat, but it's going to be by the sweat of your brow. Meaning you, you're really going to have to work hard. Like I said, like, as we would say, like a dog. And that, as we know from Genesis 2, this is where I want you to get, I want you to get really clear. That was never God's intent. So if you stop today and look at your life and look at how you're working, how you're approaching work, how you view work. And if it's all struggle. And if it's all you know, clawing and hooking and crooking and and always on the bottom and never quite having enough. That is not God's will. 
First and foremost, you need to pause and begin to seek the Lord and ask him to show you if you are actually even doing and, and operating in what he wants for your life. If he's called you to that and always your your work as in your, you know, day to day, nine to five may not always be equated with your bigger purpose. You may be doing a job and you may have purpose and destiny that that's greater than that. That's going to take you further and farther. And you're going to give just as much to that because that's the real call on your life while you earn and get seed to sow, to live, to flourish, to give. So work and purpose are connected, but they're not always synonymous, if that makes sense. And the best is when your work does land you right in the middle of your purpose. That's like the ultimate that God would want for us. But sometimes we have to start where we are. And as we grow and as our understanding of of what God has for us and where he's calling us to grows, then we can move more and more into that place of ultimate purpose. So you may start off working for a company or working for an individual and your ultimate purpose may be entrepreneurship so that you can finance the kingdom of God at very high, you know, astounding um, rates of, of financial, you know, means and, and, and resources, whatever that looks like, you seek God and he will show you. But what you need to keep in your spirit at all times, and you need to be using it as the gauge as you go through life. And as you look at your work life and your approach to work is God has not called me to struggle. God has not called me to scratch a living. No, I'm supposed to be blessed. I'm supposed to have more than enough. Blessed is the fruit of my hands, the Bible says. Whatever I set my hands to prospers, the Bible says. That is what you're called to. That was God's original intent for us before things got turned upside down here in chapter three. Sweatless victory. And yet the world, those who are without God, absolutely are called to struggle and to work like there's no tomorrow. And like the money is somehow going to run out. And, you know, there's a fear of running out instead of a faith in running over. You know, I, I declare at times that I have no fear of running out. And it does. And I don't say that based on what my bank accounts and my my accounts you know, balance to say, I say that based on what God has said about me and, and what his intent was for me. You can say this if you don't have a dime in the bank and a dime in your pocket, or if you've got millions, it doesn't matter. It works the same. So say to yourself, I have no fear in running out because I serve the God who owns it all. I serve the God who owns the cattle of a thousand hills. I serve the God who created it all. I'm his child. So I will never run out. If my dad has it, my God has it, my Abba Father has it, my big brother Jesus has it, then I have it. I have no fear of running out. I have faith in running over. Glory to God. You know, he said that blessing in Luke 6, 38. When you give, it'll be given back to you. Good measure pressed down, running over with the measure you meet, it'll be meted back or met back to you or basically however you put it out is how it's coming back. 
And he wasn't just talking about money there in that verse, but money is a part of that. Wealth is a part of that. So abandon that fear mentality, abandon that struggle mentality, because we see here that was under the curse. When the curse was pronounced, that's where struggle came in. When the curse was pronounced, that's where scratching a living came in. No, we're called to live abundantly. Ask the Lord to show you where your abundant path is. The Bible says that he leads us through the fire and the water into our wealthy place in him. Begin to ask him and seek him and say, Lord, show me my wealthy place in you. And you're not going to have to worship money to get there, friend. Remember, that's not of God. Because you can worship money with one dollar or a million dollars. So we keep our focus on the provider, not the thing. We the giver of the thing of God. And he brings the goodness. He brings the things. That's where the sweatlessness comes in, because we're letting God be God. We're letting him navigate us. Teach us to profit. The Bible says he'll lead us in the way we should go and teach us to profit. And in these last few minutes, I want to share some scriptures with you that you can write down and you can study on your own time. But Proverbs, which is the book of wisdom, has a lot to say about work and how good it is and how if you're not into work and you're into being lazy and you're into taking and stealing or trying to do the least to get the most, how that's not God either. And so you need to embrace work. First of all, it gives you purpose, especially men. I'm talking about men with that are male males. It's a big part of a man's psyche and identity. When you see a man that doesn't have gainful employment and he doesn't have a a seeming traction with his work life, it does something to him mentally, especially um, much more than with women. I think women, that's more in the relationship zone and it's how God created us. We all have our specialties. So. Proverbs 10 and 16 tells us that the earnings of the godly enhance their lives. Your earnings are supposed to enhance your life. You're supposed to be able to eat of the fruit of your of your ground. Enjoy the fruits of your labor and your work should be enhancing your life. If you're doing it right, it will enhance your life. It won't take away from your life. It won't keep you away from your family. For untold hours on hours every week. And weeks and months out of the year, you know, you're somewhere on a plane or you're somewhere here and there in the name of business. And you're never connecting with the family that God gave you, the family that you ask for. You're an absentee dad, an absentee husband, an absentee son, whatever that looks like. And it could be women, too. You could be an absentee mom. And I'm not trying to cast guilt on anybody. I know we have to follow God and hear from God for ourselves. And some seasons may require different things than other seasons. I know things happen. God is a God of seasons. Life goes in seasons. So you the the point is just understand God's best and then allow him to navigate you. And if you have a family, your family and what that looks like for you in this season, what it could look like in another season. Maybe in this season, it's just the husband working. Maybe in another season, it'll be the husband and the wife working. But the point is, you should never be struggling and it should never be taking away from other parts of your life. It shouldn't be taking away from your health. It shouldn't be taking away from your family to the point that you all don't even have time with one another. So I hope that's clear. 
if we go on over to Proverbs 12, it tells us that hard work means prosperity. Only fools idle away their time. It's a fool that sits up all day and does nothing. You're not going to get anywhere. In fact, the Bible says poverty will pounce on you. (laughs) But when you work hard unto the Lord, not a workaholic, not worshiping work, not making work your God and making work, you know, your self-worth, equating work, your your self-worth with your work. But you have a healthy self-image, a healthy self-worth, independent of your work because it's based in God. So if the work goes away, you still know who you are. You're not lost. Yes, it may hurt. You may grieve, but you you move forward ultimately. And then it tells us in Proverbs 12, 14, that the work of the hands give many benefits. So you can continue to study this out. I, I encourage you to do a word study. Proverbs 12, 24, Proverbs 13, 11, Proverbs 14, 23. You can write those down and in your own time, continue to seek the Lord. Get aligned with his best for you. God is not the God of the hustle, hustle, hustle. You know, there's that hustle, hustle, hustle thing that people have these days and they glorify that. But honey, when you do it right with God, the blessing of the Lord is greater than the hustle. I'm anti-hustle. I want all the blessings and I want them sweatlessly the way God designed from the very beginning. And thank you for listening. I pray this message, this podcast has blessed you today. I ask that you be liberal in sharing it, downloading it, liking, commenting, subscribing if you haven't already. I pray that you will take what we've learned and what heaven has given us and cause it to take you to another level in your abundant life, your intentional living. And until we're together again, God bless you.